If you have your Bibles, we'll be in John chapter 1, John chapter 1, uh, verse 9, or if you have the Version app uh, on your phone, the Version Bible app, you can uh, click more and then events and pull everything up on there if you want to follow along through that. Uh, Cornerstone will be the first name when you pop up on events. Uh, let's kind of set the scene a little bit. So it's the middle of the night and you've been asleep and maybe something wakes you up or maybe you weren't sleeping very well and so you're thinking, I'm going to go and just watch TV for a little bit. And and let's say it's 2 a.m. and you're just flipping through the channels and all of a sudden you hear this. Remove the phrase, oh, my aching back from your vocabulary with the back thing, a simple solution for lower back pain. Designed by a neurosurgeon, the original back thing provides extra support on any seat at home or the office. Of course, those aren't the only places you sit, so consider the back thing recreational for golf carts, boats, stadium seats, RVs, and patio chairs. It's wider thanks to two extra slats in the design. The back thing traveler is more lightweight and compact, perfect for airline or train seats. No matter where you go, the back thing has got your back. Or maybe you've heard things like this. Is your closet overflowing with shoes that are strewn all over? Clear the clutter by doubling your closet storage space. Shoe Slots is a space-saving storage unit that organizes and protects men's, women's, and children's shoes by neatly stacking them on top of each other in a no-assembly-required plastic storage unit. From stilettos to golf shoes, you'll never spend time searching for your shoe made again. Shoe Slots. You know, We've seen these ads, right? We've seen these commercials. And, you know, maybe it's for the Wonder Broom that can reach every single angle without any impossibility. Or maybe it's the, uh, you know, the magnetic belt that no matter how far you stretch it, it will always be where you need it to be. Uh, all of these things we see on as seen on TV, right? And I'm not judging if you have any of these things because I'll be completely honest, our house is filled with these things. Um, not from my room, just because I'm not going to name any names why we have these, but um, we, we have some of these things in our house. And the thing that I always find fascinating about these ads and these commercials is all of these things come down to this. You have to have these things in your life. Your life is not complete unless you have the shoe organizer or the Wonder Broom or whatever it is that you have bought from our commercials. Your life is meaningless if you don't have these things. You need these things. You should desire to have these things. These things are a desperate need in your life interesting we're coming to the holiday season we're in the holiday season and so many people are searching we're searching for things that we feel we so desperately need in our life we're searching for joy we're searching for peace we're searching for hope we're looking for all of these things and the problem is is we're looking in all the wrong places we're we're trying to find all of these things and things that don't really bring any meaning bring any hope we're looking and maybe it's through material possessions that we look we're trying to you know we watch all these ads and we see all of these things you can't live without your life so desperately needs these things and these are the things that will bring you joy and happiness 
We're searching all over for these things. And here's the thing. In John chapter 1, John tells us, here is what you so desperately need. Here are the things you so desperately need. And in John chapter 1, 9 through 13 and verse 29, we were going to see a couple of things that we so desperately need. And all of our searching leads us to these two things that we so desperately need. And so this morning, what are those things? Well, as I said, John gives us the answer in verses 9 through 13 and then in verse 29. And so we're going to talk about these things this morning. What are these things that we so desperately need? Because if we're searching, and the answer is right here, let's go to the Word and see what it is. Well, in verses 9 through 13, I think the first thing John tells us that we so desperately need is adoption into the family of God. One of the things that we so desperately need is adoption into the family of God. Verse 9 is where we'll start, and it says this in verse 9. It says, the true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. True light. We talked about this in the first five verses in John chapter 1, that the word is uh, life, and in that life is the light of all mankind. And the light is coming into the world. The light is coming to illuminate. The light is coming to reveal, and it's coming to everyone in the world. What does this mean? Well, uh, this idea that the, the true light that gives light to everyone is coming into the world, this is referring to the incarnation, which we talked about last week. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. So the light coming is the incarnation. And we know who the light is. John chapter 8, verse 12 tells us who the light is. It says, when Jesus spoke again to the people, he said, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness but will have the light of life. So the light is coming into the world, and the light is Jesus. And so what does this mean, that he's coming into the world, and he was coming, or he gives light to everyone? I like what Mark Moore says in his Life of Christ commentary. He says, there are at least three valid explanations of these verses. First, Jesus did, in fact, impact human history more than any other single figure. The world is a better, wiser, more humane place because of his 33-year stint. Second, his influence continues to be felt through the church he left behind. If it were not for Jesus' followers, the world would be, or the world would be centuries behind where it is now in science, education, politics, and medicine. Third, because he made light available, he opened the possibility for each person to be enlightened. John MacArthur shares something similar when he says, what it means is for every man who truly sees Christ, there is complete enlightenment about who he is. Not available in the Old Testament. No one really could see the full glory of Christ until he came into the world. He enlightens every man. He is the only light for every man. Everyone who is enlightened is enlightened by him. Everybody who understands salvation and his role as Savior, everyone who understands that understands it is because they see him for who he is. He is light, and in him he illuminates, he enlightens people to who he is, to who God is, to the word. He enlightens people, but here is the problem. Not everyone wants to be enlightened. Not everybody wants to be enlightened. Matter of fact, verses 10 and 11 tells us this. It says, he was in the world, 
And though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. He was in the world. He created the world. The world was made through him, but here's the thing. The world did not recognize him. He was in the world. This word here for world in the Greek, it's the word cosmos. And this word cosmos, it's where we get our word cosmos or cosmopolitan or cosmetics. It's this idea of a a structure, an order, or uh, in some cases it's this idea of, uh, you know, something that's beautiful, something that is uh, nice to look at. But in the New Testament, this word cosmos, it's often used in a negative way, referring to a fallen, sinful system of thinking. And so here's the problem. They didn't want to be illuminated because for so many people in the world and in the world, it's a fallen state, a sinful world that we live in. And it's true. A lot of people don't want to be illuminated because the world in which we live is full of sin and our our way of thinking is sinful. It's a fallen world that we live in. And then in verse 11, we see, I'll say, the saddest, if not the saddest, one of the saddest verses in all of Scripture. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. His own here is referring to the nation of Israel, and it was prophesied that the Messiah would come. He would come and he would be with his people. He would be a savior for his people, the nation of Israel. But here's the problem. They would reject him. They would reject him and they would say, where is he? Where is the Messiah? Where is he? And is he going to come? When is he going to come? And he had come, but they missed him. JP, this past Wednesday, dressed up at D-Zone and was talking about all these prophecies of the one who was to come and he kept saying, where is he? Where is he? I can't wait for him to get here. When will he come? And he had come and they missed him. You see, the thing is, this had been prophesied. This rejection would take place in Isaiah chapter 53, verses 1 through 3. Who has believed our message and to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? He grew up before him like a tender shoot and like a root out of dry ground. He had no beauty or majesty to attract us to him, nothing in his appearance that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by mankind, a man of suffering and familiar with pain. Like one from whom people hide their faces, he was despised, and we held him in low esteem. And he had come, and yet it was prophesied that they would reject him. And here's the thing, God had given them so many reasons to believe in who Jesus was, and yet they still refused to believe, and Jesus recognized this. Listen to what he says in John chapter 5, 31 through 47. It's kind of long, but what Jesus says here, it's, it, he can see the problem. He says, if I testify about myself, my testimony is not true. There is another who testifies in my favor, and I know that his testimony about me is true. You have sent to John, and he has testified to the truth. Not that I accept human testimony, but I mention it that you may be saved. John was a lamp that burned and gave light, and you chose for a time to enjoy his light. I have testimony weightier than that of John. For the works that the Father has given me to finish, the very works that I am doing, testify that the Father has sent me. And the Father who sent me has himself testified concerning me. You have never heard his voice, nor seen his form, nor does his word dwell in you, for you do not believe the one he sent. 
You study the scriptures diligently because you think that in them you have eternal life. These are the very scriptures that testify about me, yet you refuse to come to me to have life. I do not accept glory from human beings, but I know you. I know that you do not have the love of God in your hearts. I have come in my Father's name, and you do not accept me. But if someone else comes in his own name, you will accept him. How can you believe since you accept glory from one another, but do not seek the glory that comes from the only God? Or do you think I will accuse you before the Father? Your accuser is Moses, on whom your hopes are set. If you believed Moses, you would believe me, for he wrote about me. But since you do not believe what he wrote, how are you going to believe what I say? The testimony of the Father, the works that he has been given, all of these things testify to who he is. And even with all the miracles and all the proofs and all the testimonies, it doesn't matter because in the end they turn him over to Pilate. John 18:35. Am I a Jew? Pilate replied. Your own people and chief priests handed you over to me. What is it you have done? And here's the thing, they had the Messiah, the promised one, the, the prophesied one, there, right there with them. And what do they do? They reject him, they ignore him, and they send him to the cross. And here's the sad truth, is that even today there are those who will refuse to believe. There are those who will refuse to believe with all the proofs, with all the miracles, with all the scripture, with all the testimonies, with everything that, that God has done, it's not enough for some people. And there are those today who will choose the things of this world rather than live in a relationship with the Father. John three nineteen through 20, it tells us this. This is the verdict. Light has come into the world, but people love darkness instead of the light because their deeds were evil. Everyone who does evil hates the light and will not come to the light for fear that their deeds will be exposed. A couple of interesting things here in these two verses, 19 and 20. First, in verse 19, it uses a word, in, or it says, the, uh, instead of light because their deeds were evil. This word here for evil in the Greek, it mean, or it's panera. And this term, it implies not only evil, but a sense of drudgery, labor, and effort. And I like what BibleRef.com says about it. It says, mankind is not just immoral. We work hard at being immoral. And a life of sin is a hard life. What that word evil means pretty much is that we, we labor and we toil just to be immoral. We work hard to go after the things that we know are sin. We work hard to go after the things that we know are bad for us. We work hard to seek out the things that will lead us down a wrong road. We seek these things out. We work hard to be immoral. In verse 20, it says, Everyone who does evil hates the light. The word here for evil in the Greek, it's a word that is translated to mean worthless or no good evil, worthless, no good. They seek after things that are, are wicked, that are no good, that are worthless. And guess what? It might be fun in the moment. It might be great at the time, seeking out these things, seeking out these sins, working hard to live this immoral life. It may seem worth it now, but this life is worthless and no good without Jesus. We need him. Bible ref says it well, without God, or life without God may seem satisfying for a while, but it's ultimately hopeless, worthless, and ends in disaster. We need Jesus. And here's the good news. Verses 12 and 13 
follow verse 11, and it says this in verses 12 and 13. It says, Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, children born not of natural descent nor of human decision or a husband's will, but born of God. To those who received, who believed in him, the right to be sons of God. Let's break this down a little bit. This phrase here, yet to all who did receive him. You know, it's interesting. You can tell those who have a a walk with Jesus, those who live for him, those who have given their life to him. You can tell who's a believer. Because John actually tells us in 1 John, gives us signs. Here's how you know who are those who have received him. For starters, those who have received him, they don't desire to willfully sin. There's a difference between falling short and stumbling and and picking ourselves back up and going to, to Christ for forgiveness. There's also this desire to willfully sin, to keep living in sin, to keep going back over and over and over and over again to the same sin over and over and over again, even though you know that you shouldn't be doing that. Those who have received him, don't desire to keep going back to that sin over and over and over again. First John chapter 3, verses 9-10, through 10, No one who is born of God will continue to sin, because God's seed remains in them. They cannot go on sinning because they have been born of God. This is how we know we are the children of God and are who the children of the devil are. Anyone who does not do what is right is not God's child, nor is anyone who does not love their brother and sister. John gives us another way to tell. They are known for their love for each other. Those who have received them are known for their love for one another. 1 John chapter 4, verse 7. Dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God. Anyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. John gives us another way to tell. They believe in Jesus, and they believe in Jesus. They don't believe that there was a Jesus. They don't believe that Jesus was just a good guy. They don't believe that Jesus was just a teacher. No, they believe in who Jesus was and who he is, the light, the life, the Messiah, the one who has come for us. They believe in him. 1 John 5.1, everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ is born of God, and everyone who loves the Father loves his child as well. Well, John gives us another way that we can tell those who have been received into the family, those who have given their life to him, they, they do what God tells them to do. First John chapter 5, verse 2, this is how we know that we, love the, or that we love the children of God, by loving God and carrying out his commands. And so, yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God of God. And here's the good news. We can be adopted into his family. We can be adopted into the family of God. Romans 8, uh, 14 through 15. For those who are led by the Spirit of God are the children of God. The Spirit you receive does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. Rather, the Spirit you receive brought about your adoption to sonship. And by him we cry, Abba, Father. We can be adopted into the family of God. That is something we so desperately need. And so how does this happen? This happens when we respond to Christ by faith and receive his name. To those who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, that is how we become adopted into the family of God. Acts 4.12 tells us salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved. 
Galatians 3, 26 and 27. So in Christ Jesus, you are all children of God through faith. For all of you who were baptized into Christ have clothed yourselves with Christ. There's no other way to be admitted into the family of God, to be adopted into the family of God except through Christ. He's the only way. You can't be good enough. You can't work hard enough. It's only through Jesus Christ in which we can be adopted into the family of God. And for those who believe, we can become children of God. It says he gave the rights. This word here, rights, in the Greek, it means power or authority. We have the authority given us by God to become children of God because of what Christ has done for us, because of Christ's coming and his victory. We can be in the family of God. We have the authority to be in the family of God. How amazing is that? If you're searching and searching and searching, search the word and see that this is what God tells us. We can be adopted into the family, God, or family of God. We can be, become heirs. We can become sons in the family of God. That is amazing. And what does this mean for us? Well, this means because of him, we have victory over the world. We have a relationship with the Father in which we call him Abba. We are fellow heirs with Christ. We have future blessings. And in verse 13, it says, children born not of natural descent nor of human decision or husband's will, but born of God. What does this mean? What does this mean? Well, natural descent in the Greek, it means blood. And so this would mean it's not by blood. It's not by our blood that gets us into heaven. It doesn't mean human decision. That means will of the flesh. And it's not by our will that gets us into heaven. It's because of him. It's his will husband's decision it's the idea of a man's desire for offspring these all hint at physical sensual biological relationship of reproduction john's not talking about these things no but what he's talking about is spiritual spiritually we become children of god we can be adopted into the family of god and that is something we so desperately need this morning we should desire our main desire should be to be in the family of god but here's the thing, we need a little bit of help with that. We need a little bit of help. And so that leads us to verse 29. It says, the next day, John saw Jesus coming toward him and said, look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Something has to happen for all of this to take place. We need a little bit of help. We are going to need uh, help with our sin problem. We have a little bit of a sin problem, and we needed help with that. And John sees, or John the Baptist sees Jesus, and he says, "Look, the Lamb of God who takes this, uh, takes away the sin of the world." And this word, Lamb, he's the Lamb of God. This word, Lamb, is important. When you read through the Old Testament, you see how just important this word, Lamb, is. It carries a lot of important weight to it because of the representation of the Lamb. That you see in the Old Testament. Uh, let's look at one of the first uses of the word lamb, and it comes in Genesis chapter 22. In Genesis 22, 7 through 8, it says this Isaac spoke up and said to his father Abraham, Father, yes, my son, Abraham replied. The fire and wood are here, Isaac said, but where is the lamb for the burnt offering? Abraham answered, God himself will provide the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. And the two of them went on together. 
We know what happens at the end of the story when Abraham gets ready to sacrifice Isaac, but yet God provides. God provides that sacrifice. We see something similar, God providing that sacrifice in Exodus chapter 12, 21 through 23. It says, Then Moses summoned all the elders of Israel, and he said to them, Go at once and select the animals for your families and slaughter the Passover lamb. Take a bunch of hyssop, dip it into the blood in the basin, and put some of the blood on the top and on both sides of the door frame. None of you shall go out of the door of your house until morning. When the Lord goes through the land to strike down the Egyptians, he will see the blood on the top and sides of the door frame and will pass over that doorway, and he will not permit the destroyer to enter your houses and strike you down. The blood of the lamb was a sign that, that when, the, when this came down, they were gonna go, or this was going to go right by their house. When the Lord goes through the land, it was passed by the houses with the blood on the door frames. The sacrifice that helped the people. Isaiah 53 shows us a little bit some of something about the sacrificial lamb. Isaiah 53, 7, he was oppressed and afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep before its shears is silent, so he did not open his mouth. The lamb plays an important part in the Old Testament because of this idea of sacrifice. And here's the thing, it was predicted that the Messiah would be the one who bore that death for the sins of the people. Isaiah chapter 53, verse 12, Therefore I will give him a portion among the great, and he will divide the spoils with the strong, because he poured out his life unto death and was numbered with the transgressors. For he bore the sin of many and made intercession for the transgressors. And so this brings us this morning to Jesus, the sacrificial lamb, the lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. First Peter chapter 1, 18 through 19, for you know that it was not with perishable things such as silver or gold that you were redeemed from the empty way of life handed down to you from your ancestors, but with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect. 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 7, Get rid of the old yeast so that you may be a new unleavened batch as you, are, as you really are. For Christ, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed. And one of the things we so desperately need is to be adopted into the family of God. But in order for that to happen, what we also so desperately need in our life is a sacrificial lamb to come and take our place, to take the sins of this world, to take our sins off of us. And what did God do? He sent that sacrificial lamb for us in the form of his son come and live and die and resurrected for us so that we can be forgiven. We so desperately need salvation. We so desperately need Jesus. We so desperately need forgiveness. We so desperately need the love and hope and peace that comes from him. We so desperately need all of these things, and they're all wrapped up in this. We needed the Lamb of God to come and take away the sins of the world so that we could be forgiven because there's only one way, and that is through the Son. We so desperately need all these things. I'm going to ask the worship team to come up, and as they do, Here's the thing, we're just a few weeks away from Christmas. And we're going to think about all the gifts. We're going to think about gifts of this year and gifts of the past. But here's the thing. 
we've already received the greatest gifts that we could ever possibly ask for. You see, the things that we so desperately need, adoption in the sonship, forgiveness of our sins, those things that we so desperately need, those things have already been provided. All we have to do is believe in the one whom he sent. Believe in him, the one who he has sent. Believe in him, give our lives to him, put our faith in him, put our trust in him. We need to follow his commands. Light came into darkness, gave us an opportunity to respond and believe in him. And it's all because he is the lamb, the lamb that took on our stains and our blemishes. Maybe you're here this morning and yet all you see is darkness. All you see is darkness around you. You are laboring and toiling and working hard just to be sinful. And you don't have to do that anymore. You can choose to walk out of that darkness and be illuminated by him. And giving your life to him, putting your faith in him believing in him. And maybe you've been walking in darkness and that is all that has defined your life and maybe it's time to give that over to him and lay these things at his feet and give your life to him. And so this morning, if you've been walking in darkness and you need to get out, do so. On your connect cards, if you have a decision to make, I'd love to talk with you. I'd love to pray with you. If you want to talk this morning, me, one of the elders, would love to talk with you. Or maybe you're here this morning and, man, you've been teetering. Walking in, trying to walk in the light and walk in the darkness at the same time and you can't do both. This morning, maybe what you need to do is you need to just pray and lay these things at God's feet. Where you're you're sitting, if you want to come up here and pray, I'd love to pray with you. Man, don't fall for the lies we see on TV. Don't fall for the ads that these are the things that you so desperately need. No, John tells us what we so desperately need. Adoption in the sonship and forgiveness of sins through the Lamb of God, the one who takes away the sin of the world. And this morning, it's already been laid out for you. All you have to do is believe in the one whom he has sent. Give your life to him. If you have any decision you need to make, 